protecting me from me. <laughs> Hot mic <laughs> and all the dangers therein. <laughs> yeah. Good to know that saner minds are watching out over me. That's what it is. Let's pray. We beseech thee, O Lord, pour thy grace into our hearts, that as we have known the incarnation of thy Son, Jesus Christ, by the message of an angel, so by his cross and passion we may be brought unto the glory of his resurrection, through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Grace, I don't have my, shade, my glasses. I don't even know where they are. Yeah, you better go look in the church. Well, I'm going to have to try to look at my notes without my reading glasses. Forgive me. I, it may get a little slow at times. We shall see. Uh, this is reason now she's going to tell me, see, you should have gone to the optometrist and gotten re regular glasses, but I broke the other ones, and I've been hard-headed and uh, uh, stubborn and found that it's cheaper to buy readers at Walmart than it is to go to the doctor, so... But every once in a while, someone as forgetful as I am forgets them. And you just pray that I don't ever do it when I have to say Mass here. And, and we'll be in real trouble. Anyway, I'll try to do this. I think I can see this. Uh, we've, we've been talking about... Well, let me backtrack. No, she's coming with them. She's good. Huh? Uh, yeah, they're, me they're medium range. That's what I need. That's what I. Need. Oh yeah, this is great. <laughs> well, she now she's gonna come in the door with mine. And she's gonna say, "Now, whose are these?" <laughs> we were talking about spiritual despondency, and one of the things. Did you find them? Yeah, you did. <laughs> I got a borrowed pair here, so let me give these back while I remember to give them back to you. You may never see them again, and I'll wonder where I got two pairs. I'll get them at Walmart too. Oh, okay. The eyes have it. Yeah, the eyes have it. That's right. We've been talking about spiritual despondency, and and having a subject like this is sort of like an antiphon in the liturgy. Uh, it it gives a perspective of parts of a broader picture, uh, and all these parts fit together. So uh, much of what I'm going to talk today doesn't have directly to do with despondency, but it does, because in orthodoxy, everything is a part of a whole. Uh, we have to be careful when we break something down and analyze it on its own, because there's no such thing in orthodoxy. There's no whole thing. For example, just as an aside... It's popular in America for Christians to talk about Christology. What do we say about Christ? But in Orthodoxy, you really can't do that without looking at everything. Everything is involved. Believe it or not, anthropology, what we say about humanity, is Christology. Mariology is Christology. Theology is Christology. You, you can't separate them. So what I'm going to talk about today is an aspect, and I want you to think of it in terms of spiritual despondency, because I think that it gives us partly some tools to work with toward uh, removing that dilemma. 
Uh, and we will be facing that dilemma a little bit more next week when we talk about the three phases of Christian discipleship. St. James the Apostle, the brother of the Lord who wrote the epistle in the New Testament, said this. He said this about sin. Oh, nobody wants to hear a priest talk about sin. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Now, basically, what he has done is identified some stages in the process of sin. Uh, he's identified three, if you look at it carefully, desire, conception, and birth of, of sinful actions. Uh, and just by doing that, he suggested that there's a progress. So we think of sin as just an action. It's just something we do. Well, it is, but it's got more to it than that. And St. James suggests that there's a, a progress that we move toward before the action actually occurs. And in the life of the church, then, we've come to understand that sin has four stages or four levels in this progression. Uh, and I'm going to write these down here for you. So uh, those four are first motion. Well, this is not. One's gone. There we go. First motion, entertainment, that's an E, uh, consent, and action. Now, the Eastern Rite, well, this is basically Western translation, Western Rite terminology translated from Latin. Eastern Rite will use sometimes different words, but they still believe in see the same concepts. So sometimes an Eastern Rite will come out as provocation, coupling, assent, and passion. Uh, but I want to use our terminology. I just think it's more practical. That's one thing about the Western Rite. The, the terminology is, 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 is in many ways less ethereal and more practical, and yet it still captures the whole picture. Uh, so it's not like one is better than the other. They're just two sides and antinomy of the same thing. Uh, so anyway, first motion, entertainment, consent, and action. So let's look at these then. First, if we understand these, I think what happens is that we can begin to understand that our, it's, our sin is not just the actions we do, but we can, we can find it, our, identify parts of our sin patterns here in first motion and begin to arrest them. And it's, you know... It's all of this happening to us that gets us down. It sometimes is the product of despondency. Lord, do you ever get tired of me? I get tired of me. So doing the same thing over again. God, you know, the Protestant minister, Bob Mumford, used to joke that when he got to heaven, his wife got two crowns of glory, one for being faithful to Christ and the other for putting up with him all those years, Mumford and, and really, I have to say, this grace gets double crowns for putting up with me. So uh, if you want to get an example of a real disciple who's had to endure a lot of tribulation, there you have it right there. So in any case, yeah, oh, they feel sorry for you. <laughs> anyway, yeah, 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 I, I thought about that. I knew some priest, and, and I said something to him one, uh, about some... It was something, I can't remember what it was, and I don't know what the situation was, but he just looked at me and said, pray for me. <laughs> yeah, I've been hearing that today, this week. I don't know why. Uh, maybe God's trying to tell me something. Anyway, first motions usually are the personal thoughts, suggestions by others, or something from the devil and his minions. 
First motions are not sin. For years, I struggled with first motions. And I'm going to give you some examples in a minute so you'll understand more what this entails. But for years, I struggled with first motions, temptation, just little things that flashed through my mind. And I thought that was sin. And I just beated, beat myself down by it. Oh, you awful person. Uh, and, and it was a long time before I began to realize the difference between an actual sin and a first motion, as you're going to see. Second was entertainment. This is not necessarily sin, but it's allowing that first motion to linger and hang around a while, giving it, give it some contemplation. And usually the longer we remain in entertainment, the more likely we are to fall into sin. Third one is consent. This is the advent of the sinful action. It's agreement in soul with what the sin entails. Christ has taught us that thoughts are as sinful as actions. So when we enter into consent, we've already done the deed, even though we haven't done the deed. And yeah, in a way, it's better to think it only than to think it and to do it. You know, if I make you mad and you think you'd like to whop me one, that's bad enough. But if you walk up here and actually do it, that's even worse. And there'll be all kinds of ramifications, both for you and for me, uh, in, in, in all of that. So, so obviously, if we can cut it off at consent, it's, it's good. But then action is actually doing what one has entertained. Now, if we can learn to progress through these, we can actually cut it off at first motion, which is what we want to do. We want to see that a sin is on its way or a temptation to sin is on its way and cut it off here, at the very least here. So look at the temptation of Adam in Genesis 3 and the temptation of Christ in Matthew 4. I chose Matthew's gospel because... The, because of the way it's fleshed out. The first motion to Adam. Has God said? Does that sound familiar? <laughs> Is that really from God, all that stuff you do, you people? Is it? Entertainment. You won't die by death. Come on. Now, the devil is tempting her, but Eve, but, but you know, she could very well have this going on within her own soul. You're not going to die by death. He knows. Consent. When the woman saw. When. Key word. That's consent. She crossed the line. When. She made up her mind that action. She took its fruit and ate. The four stages in Adam. And of course, it happens like this. Would that it were slower than that, but it doesn't. It happens like that. And it's honest. Now look at, in contra and contrast, the temptation of Christ in Matthew 4. Three first motions. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. And he quotes scripture. So, by the way, I want you to remember this. This is an aside. But it's popular in America to ask, to pose the question when something is taught, is it biblical? That is not an orthodox principle, and that's not what he said today, so don't think I'm contra contradicting him. It is not, to say is it biblical is not an orthodox question, because in orthodoxy is, is it apostolic? Every heretical group in the history of Christianity has espoused Bible verses to support what they teach. And almost always they violate the antinomic quality of reality with Bible verses to prove it. You would ask me to preach today, I was going to talk on the rapture. 
you know, heard of the rapture. Everybody teaches the rapture today, but that is not a Christian doctrine, and we don't hold it in orthodoxy. If you want to know what it is, go online and look. We'll also tell you the history of it. It didn't show up in Christianity until 1820. How's that for new? And yet, most Christians in the United States believe that the rapture is a doctrine that Christians must hold. Not in orthodoxy. So, the temptation of Christ. The third one, all these things will I give you. Scripture has a wider context, but that's another story and another lesson. All these things I will give you. So, three first motions. Adam progressed through the stages. Christ entered the temptation at the first motion. And what does it say at the end of the Gospel of Matthew? As a result of that, angels came and ministered unto him. Isn't that what we're looking for? So, in imitation of Christ, we want to be able to learn to identify the first motions of our actions. This means that we need to do, we need to do self-examination, and we need to know who we are and what our sin patterns are, our sins and our sin patterns. Each of us must know that about himself. That's just the way it is. Americans don't want to know the dirty dirt about ourselves. We just don't want to know. So when a priest says we got to do self-examination, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't, I just can't, I don't want to do that. And God didn't tell me, God forgave me, Jesus forgave me, I'm washed in the blood, hallelujah, and I don't have to do that. Oh, really? <clears throat> want to go deeper? You got to do it. And, we, and, and the only way we'll do it is, it, and the only thing will come of it is, that we will learn our sins, and in learning our sins, we can begin to learn our sin patterns, and in learning our sin patterns, we can begin to arrest our sins at first motion, and actually, by the grace of God, to stop those things. But we got to get on that journey. So here's how we start that. First of all, we identify our sins in those patterns, and you'll find, as I mentioned already, <laughs> that we go from... A to Z in one simple action. You know, before I even know that a first motion is on the table, I'm already acting on it. But if we recognize this and admit it, then what, and keep doing this, repent, Lord, forgive me. How do you put up with me all this time? How do you do this? How do you put up with me again and again and again? I do these things. Forgive me. And what I find is that we, we do it enough, repeatedly repent, admit the action and, and, and acknowledge it and ask God to forgive us. Eventually, we start winding up at consent. In other words, we are able to shut off the sin here where we're admitting it in our thoughts, but we're not actually doing it. And if we keep doing that, if we keep doing that, we eventually wind up at entertainment. And if we keep doing that, and believe me, it, folks, it takes years, not just a couple of weeks. Years. We have to commit ourselves to the Christian journey to do this. This is what it's all about. If we keep doing that, we wind up back at first motion. And suddenly we start to notice that we can get, recognize the temptation when it occurs, the first motion, and cut it off before it goes anywhere. I'm going to give you some examples in a minute. And we have to do this repeatedly throughout the Christian life. And it's tiring, and it's burdensome, and we don't really want to do it. We want easier Christianity. Tell me what I got to believe to be saved, and don't give me anything else. This is why we're considered a cult in some circles in America. Because we say, that's not true. There's much that we have to do. So I'm going to give you some scenarios. 
were these things operative here? Things that I think you can recognize in through your own experiences. What about forgiveness? So the, con the, con the scenario, for the, the context for this first one is, we have contact with someone or a memory who hurt us. What's the first motion? So-and-so really hurt you. So-and-so really betrayed you. <clears throat> Entertainment, I remember. Then there's a voice that says, it hurt you a lot, as I recall, and he got away with it. <laughs> and we're saying it's not fair. If you let him get away, and the voice says, if you let him get away with this, he'll walk all over you. We're still in entertainment, but you see we're moving toward the action. Consent. It isn't fair, and I'm not going to let this pass. I'll get him somehow. And then action. Refusal to forgive. Anger. Resentment. Retaliation. That's what happens. And I think every one of you has at least someone, one person in your life that fits this description for you. I know I do. In fact, it surprised me lately, recently when I was doing a sort of a self-examination to try to imagine scenarios in my life where people had hurt me and maybe I hadn't forgotten, forgiven them. And I found things that went back to my childhood and make no sense whatsoever, but they do make sense. I've been hanging out there eating on me without me even knowing it. So what do we do? Number one, forgive. What did Jesus say? Seventy times seven. That's a commandment. It's not a suggestion. Accept the offense. He said, turn the cheek. Accept the offense. I like that scene in the movie Hamburger Hill where they try to make sense of the, all that's happening in the time, the struggle in Vietnam and, and American resistance at home. And don't mean nothing. I like the bad grammar. It makes it catchy. Just remember, it don't mean nothing. And the scope of eternity, it don't mean nothing. Got to remember that. Accept the offense. Don't dwell on it. Pray for the offender. You mean pray for this person who hurt me like this? Yes. <clears throat> We're not given a choice. If we want to go into the mystery of Christ, we got to do it. Pray for the offender. Repeat all of the above. <laughs> God. That's the worst part. It's not as if you ask me to do it once, but I have to do it again and again and again. And for some of us, like me, that means a whole lot of stuff. A whole lot of stuff. And we get weary. But once we start to do it, we wind up finding on ourselves eventually, right at the first motions of such things, so-and-so really hurt you. Do you remember? Yep. Doesn't matter. Don't mean nothing. And pray for that individual. That's a good time to remember to pray for that individual. We've done another one. How about envy? The sin of envy. Someone has something we want or feel we need. First motion. Did you notice the news such and such that so-and-so has? You've always wanted one of those. It's too bad you can't afford it. I see the violin playing a little bit. <laughs> Entertainment. Self says he doesn't deserve it. By implication, I do. <clears throat> Look how he takes it for granted. And then from the devil, you wouldn't assume so much. Consent. Surrender to resentment, attachment, and idolatrous thoughts. 
And these last two are another lesson altogether. We won't go there. Action. The self-examination in the St. Ambrose prayer book describes envy as, and I quote, dissatisfaction with our place in God's order of creation manifesting, it manifested in begrudging his gifts and vocation to others. <coughs> That's where we wind up. That's the action. Envy. And malice, which is under the sin of envy in that prayer book. Ill will, false accusations, slander, backbiting, gossip. Arousing, fostering, or organizing antagonism against others. Unnecessary criticism, even when true. Character murder. Gluttony, seeking and proclaiming things, seeking and, and purchasing things we don't need. Worldliness. Envy. Don't we want to stop it? Did you notice the news such and such? Yes, thanks be to God. For him, her, whatever. Not being in church. <coughs> the scenario. <coughs> On any given Sunday morning, we awaken wishing we could sleep in. Have you ever noticed how we're more drowsy and in need of sleep on Sunday mornings than any other day of the week? <coughs> we can have a vacation, and we can sleep 12 hours a day every night, week, uh, day in and day out, and we get to Sunday, and it's like we've slept two hours. We just got to stay home. That, that, that says something right there in terms of where this is all coming from. So the first motion don't go to church today. You go all the time. You need to rest. Entertainment. I am faithful. I'd like to sleep in just one day. <laughs> then the voice says, go ahead. One miss won't hurt you. you Y'all are smiling because you know this dynamic. <laughs> Hit dog howls or whatever it is. Twitch a nerve. Anyway, consent. Convince ourselves to, to skip without, without good reason. I don't, you know, we don't, if we create false guilt, then that's not, that's not good either. But, so without good reason, that's what we have to ask ourselves, is staying home with, without, is it with good reason? We have to be reasonable there. That's the balance that's really hard to walk. And then neglect, neglect the nudging within us that suggests that we do otherwise. And when, we, when the Holy Spirit begins to, to, to maneuver within us and suggest something, when we don't listen to it, we, I mean, we have to train ourselves to listen and, 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 uh, and comply. Uh, and we don't do that. We never learn that lesson. And pretty soon the voice goes quiet and doesn't speak to us anymore. Action. Stay home. And I would add this. We would never do this with our secular jobs. So if we wouldn't do it with our secular jobs, why would we do it with God? That automatically tells God everything he needs to know about us. That's scary. That's scary. And remember something. When Judgment Day comes, Christians will be the first ones, according to Scripture, the first ones to be judged. Is it St. Peter who said, if judgment begins with the household of God, what will happen to those outside of it? Scary enough thing for us. <clears throat> and we introduce the dynamic in the action. That missing becomes a pattern. <clears throat> it's a pattern and a discipline to learn to be here every Sunday. And it's also a temptation not to do that. And the opposite happens, that when we don't, when we start that excusing ourselves for no good reason, we set a pattern where it becomes just something we do once in a while. And we're never going to progress we're never going to get beyond spiritual despondency when we take that attitude. 
Last one. Patience in the spiritual life. Scenario. We're not as successful in all of this as we would really like to be. First motion. And you could tell where this comes from. Just give it up. You'll never learn this business. Entertainment. You're right. I'll never get control of myself. And from the devil, you're too weak. You can't do it. And self, I'm so tired of trying. I am tired. We're all tired, as Bishop Pacey said to me one time. <laughs> he said, we're all tired. So what? <laughs> he didn't say so what, but that's was by implication. <laughs> he was thinking it, I'm sure. <laughs> anyway, consent. We resolve to give up. You know, consent, because we resolve to give up, doesn't mean we will. I remember one time having a debate with God, and I wanted to, I just said, this is what it means going to be a Christian, I don't want to go on. And then the voice inside of me said, do you really mean that? And, and my, thought, my answer was, yes, I do mean that, too much. And then I thought about it for a minute, I thought, you know, I've been at this long enough, I don't know what else to do. So I got to go through it. So anyway, resolve is, is, it's sin, but it's not as far along as actually doing it. When we do succumb to it where it becomes action, we choose to wallow in the old ways that have done nothing for us. We wonder why we're despondent, and then we have a way out, no matter how hard. Are we choosing to stay in? It's despondency or fulfillment, one or the other. Do we choose? I mean, you know, it's sort of like being an abused spouse and staying there. Or, or when we are, some of us get so used to being mistreated and, and, and other things that we, we stay in that. We accept meaninglessness. We're happy to be in the world and lost and going nowhere and not knowing what's on the other end of eternity for us. We're happy because we're familiar with this. I know this. I don't know what's on the other side. I don't know what this is going to do to me. So we accept meaningless spirituality. We become happy with the ritual that we have as long as it doesn't say anything to us and make us change anything. So, you see, the point of this is that there are stages in sin, and we can get, if we can get ourselves here where we turn away the first motion, we can stop the sinful actions in our hearts, in our beings. And once that happens, we begin to be filled by the grace of God and transformed. And that's what we want. And we begin to be vessels of God. Icons, if you will. You have the icons in the church. We are each living icons. We're supposed to be. And so we want to arrest one of our works, one of our jobs, is to arrest sin in our lives. And that requires us to stop them at first motion. Anyway. The next time I'll, I'm going to talk about the three phases of the Christian discipleship. I think there's a, it, it sort of fits with this because there's a process and big picture we see when we go through this. Yes. You were on one minute. Yeah. On my mind, you're giving all those examples running them through this. I'll tell you one that almost all of us struggle with at some level Christian identity. Put it through like this Pastor Bruno. <laughs> first motion the thoughts either look at all you've done 
at all the wrong you've done, look at all your failures, or look at all the wrong that's been done to you. It's this happened to you, therefore you are. The entertainment and even the consent playing all together. I've done this, done that, happened to me, I'm ashamed by all of this. It runs through constantly in the system of the believer. And finally to action. I have no worth in the eyes of God and I dare not go before him. Every Christian struggles with that. Through the fallenness of the world and the illness of the soul from the fallenness within. Same process or reversal because the equal and the opposite. Like how you said, doesn't matter. What happened to me before doesn't matter. What I've done before does not have to matter. Neither whether something's happened to me or I've done something, that is not my identity. Certainly not. God determines. God determines worth. And to catch those thoughts and bring those back to first motion is critically important. Wounded or have done many things that have been done. Thank you for that. Well, I thought of one, too, while you were saying that, if I may. Because uh, <laughs> you, you sort of alluded to it in the sermon, and I, and I all of a sudden this came in, and I was trying to stay away from it because I didn't want to make you too, too fearful. But uh, in, anyway, what about when we hear that we need to go to confession? So the first motion is, you don't need to do that. You confess to God, not to a person. So the entertainment is, you're right. So I'll just do my self-examination myself and I won't go. So consent is we don't. We, we resolve in our minds that we're not going to confession. And the action is that we don't. And yet Father Zacharias says to us that the very thing that keeps us from going to confession is shame for how we are. And that that shame is helpful and healing when we don't let it dominate us. And so if we go to confession and we're embarrassed, that's a good thing because it damages our pride. And the first motion against going to confession is we don't want your pride to get hurt. You're too much above that <clears throat> and this is where we the irony of this is when we go to confession and we make that honor that honest assessment and admission of ourselves to someone else uh, and by the way in the early church it was done to the entire congregation and somewhere along the line for pastoral reasons it was relegated to the priest of the parish so he represents everybody and so thank your lucky stars if you're worried about it <laughs> it could be earlier in the apostolic age, by the way, that it was like that. So, uh, so we go in order to allow this kind of stuff to break down. And that's another confession actually helps us move to the first motion. So we start to see ourselves as we really are. And we can start undermining these things and stopping them from controlling us, which leads to despondency. We don't want them to control. They don't have to. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Anyway, we could go on for ages. You know, the worst thing about it, and I've said this before, but 
I'll probably have five examples or circumstances in the way home of having to practice what I preach. I had one that had to do with driving in automobiles, so I left it out deliberately. So. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I'll probably get to act on that on the way home, so forgive me. Anyway, thank you. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then the other thing is that he dominated my yeah. Well, he's talking about a health problem. He's talking about healthy shame as opposed to Shame, it's a false shame. There's a true shame right. and a false shame. Yeah. 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 Well, we're not supposed to be dominated by any of those things. That's the idea. It's also in the St. Ambrose prayer book, but they've changed the wording just a little bit, like, have I done this? It's in the same arrangement, have I? And it's not like that in the St. Augustine prayer book, but, but you may as well take the St. Ambrose, because St. Augustine is long out of print, uh, and you can't get it. You probably can't get it, unless you write to me with an email, in which case I'll send you an electronic copy. Uh, <laughs> yes, sir. I had a question on the temptation of Christ with the devil in the third day. The, I, I kind of, in my mind, have an issue with the temptation of jumping off the, the uh, mountain his angels were catching. What what was the uh, first blush? It seemed kind of like a ridiculous, you know, jump off. You know, it didn't seem like that'd be something I'd really want to do myself, you know. And uh, but God, was it, is it... Uh, Appealing to his pride, trying to make him prideful and say, well, you know, I can show you. He's like daring him to, to do this. Yeah, proof, take prove that? it. If you're the son of God, prove it. It's kind of like a Scripture says if you jump off, the, then your angels, God's angels will pick you up and grab you. So, yeah, in one sense, pride. Uh, our pride would say, i got to prove that I'm this spiritual. Uh, put God to the test. Put God to the test, yeah. Mm. And use scripture to back it up. <laughs> anyway, okay. Godspeed.